So there we have it. The end of season two of the PR Hub podcast has has finished, John. Yeah, um, it's all done. Dusted. Um, 16 episodes recorded. Over 881 minutes of wonderful, insightful learning from uh, our wonderful guests. And that was after we edited it as well. And that was after we <laughs> edited it. Um, 20 inspiring guests, uh, a perfect 50-50 gender split as well. And a really nice mix of guests from across the spectrum. We had a range of uh, well-known agencies join us. So big agency leaders, but also dynamic new startup agencies. Absolutely. National brands, retailers, technologists, uh, creating a new rule book uh, for communications. We had uh, three young guns join us from the 30 under 30, a few old hats and countless fresh ideas. A couple of them are on this episode, in fact. A couple of them are on this episode. Uh, We also had two presidential nominees. We had two fantastic people talking about mental health. And then today we had one roundtable of extremely learned guests. Brilliant. What a round table. Absolutely phenomenal. And just the right amount of swearing as well. Just the right amount of one swearing. One C-bomb. One C-bomb. Thank one you very C-bomb. much, Rich Lee. Brilliant. Um, yeah, thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoy this roundtable. We had a whole heap of fun uh, creating season two, and we very much hope you'll join us for season three. Uh, but thank you and enjoy. What we want to do first is just quickly go round because we realise that we have met all of you, but not all of you have met all of you. Um, so we don't want long-winded and, and deep introductions, but it would be wonderful because some of you may not know each other. Um, hopefully those that do know each other like each other. It's a bit of a gamble. Um, I prefer it if they didn't. <laughs> John and I really can't stand each other. but it's we true. Move on. Can't stand um, So what we're going to do, we'll go around in the screen order that I can see that might not be the same order as you can see. So keep you on the edge of your seat. Um, Carrie, go first. Tell everyone who you are if they do not know you already. Sure. Um, Carrie Rose, founder of Rise at Seven. I live and breathe digital PR and links. <laughs> Brilliant. But not between Christmas and New Year when you fuck off and just yeah. leave the internet quiet. Yeah, to Aruba. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm going. And that's it. No links are built between Christmas and New Year. <laughs> Carrie, you brought a drink. Was that, was that to Aruba or Anuba? Anuba. Like, <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> Carrie, what, just are you what have you brought with you? Gin. I don't know. I, to be honest, I think it might be some sort of Aldi little kind of thing, but um, it's like an orange gin. I'm running out, so I'll um, I'll click my fingers for my assistant. <laughs> oh, idea. Good. Wonderful, idea. Uh, Mr. Brown. Uh, John Brown. I've I, I head up Don't Cry Wolf. Uh, I'm 17 and a half stone. I've been on a diet for 14 years. <laughs> 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 and how's that working out today? I mean, Christmas is not a good time. I just had a KFC. So really, so really well, really, really well. I just had a Kentucky. Well. Just had a Kentucky well. Is there you a meal box? About Kentucky, we'll come to that. I'm sure. <laughs> We're gonna have our first fight. It's too late for it now. Um, it's it's consumed. I've had, I've had it. A Zinger box meal. If anyone's good interested, effort. with two hot wings on the side. Nice. We'll have to accept sponsorship from any fast food chain. That's fine. That's brilliant. Thanks, John. We're delighted to have you with us. Um, what are you drinking? Oh, what are you drinking? I'm I'm drinking. Uh, a, <laughs> it goes really well with KFC. <laughs> A Glen Dronach 18-year-old single malt. Very nice. It's very nice. So the Zinger burger, it just limits it. <laughs> does it have a serving suggestion on the back, does it? It goes well. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. It says popcorn chicken. Nice. Brilliant. <laughs> Alex, no pressure. Can you follow that? 
<laughs> no, no one, can, no one can ever follow John Brown. Um, I'm Alex. I'm the founder at Manifest. Um, pretend to be in charge at Manifest and generally just get involved in taking credit for other people's work. Um, I am drinking an old fashioned uh, because I'm I am that stereotype. So yeah. It, you are not a centrist dad unless you are drinking an old fashioned with a Christmas tree in the background. So brilliant. That's me. That's lovely. It gives the, the Christmas tree lights make it a slightly pale peachy room colour as well. Is that is that the natural colour of the wall? Uh, do you want me to take you around the different colours? Do you want me to? <laughs> do, do you want a tour? Yeah. Last last time last time we had a conversation, you were obsessed with my staircase. Like, you can move, you can move in if you want. Oh my <laughs> god, the staircase Alex has is stunning. It really is. It's beautiful. For those people that listen to Alex's podcast, or maybe we didn't include it in, but there's a lovely story because didn't you go to your house for an Airbnb and ended up buying it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, we we came. I never, but, but I, there and then, yeah, so I never. Like gangster, but I you sat in there and you went, "I'm having this." Not, yeah, pretty much. We sort of we, we we were going away for a weekend for my birthday, not this summer, summer before, and wanted to go somewhere about an hour from Camden, where we were living at the time, so we could leave the kids with my parents. And um, did that thing. We get a bit drunk on prosecco at lunchtime and go, "Oh, what could we get on Right Move?" and um, the house we were staying in was lovely <laughs> and uh, and it was up for sale on right move so i said oh can we can we have a look around and uh we did and we put an offer in i'd never been to kent before um so we moved we moved about three months later amazing yeah and it's got it's got a lovely staircase which is <laughs> yeah i mean i should sorry can i start again alex myers founder of manifest nicest staircase in communications <laughs> <There you go. laughs> like that's that's how i'm going to be known from now on uh, brilliant. You guys. Thank, you. thank you so much alex uh rebecca um do you have a nice staircase do you want to do you want to introduce yourself I probably have the dodgiest staircase in communications uh, in my flat. So I'm Rebecca. I'm the head of communications and external affairs at Hybrid Air Vehicles. I actually know nobody else on the call, um, which is an unusual state of affairs. And I'm from Kentucky. So um, oh. you're welcome for your chicken. I've got some, <laughs> some of this going on from Kentucky. So there you go. Oh, oh, exactly. I'm going to give you half a Half a point. Thank you very much. It's not my <laughs> Rebecca. We know each other, kind of a little, little. You know, we we've spoken, so that's harsh. But yeah. Is there, is there a story there? <laughs> no, not at all. No, just just Twitter and whatever. I do like. I don't count Twitter knowing. I know everyone on Twitter. Good job. Exactly. What I will say though is Rebecca has followed in countless other you know people. Uh, spokespeople and and politicians and journalists who over the last nine months decided to camp in front of their bookcase so we can all um, see what books are behind you. Um, I, I relocated because I didn't want to show you what was on my shopping list today, unlike last time. <laughs> uh, Rebecca, do you have Rich Lee's book on your bookcase behind you? Did you know I wrote a book? Ooh. No. <laughs> Rich, did you write a book? I did you write a book, guys. I did. You should, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Once upon a time, yeah, man. There you go. Yeah, Rich. Then send you back for a coffee, and then, you know, there'll be a backdrop of future Zoom calls. Um, yes, I accept book from all comers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what are you drinking tonight, Rebecca? 
I'm drinking a South African Chenin Blanc. Mm. Very nice. I don't, Very I don't nice. know what that is. What is a Chenin Blanc? <laughs> it's wine. Okay, cool. I'll go that. White wine. There you go. <laughs> uh, Rich, last but definitely not least, introduce yourself, please. Um, Rich Lee, I run Radioactive PR and Radioactive Talent, and I wrote a book, Once Upon a Time, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Available from Amazon and some good bookstores. Mostly and not good bookstores. <laughs> One for three. In, in, um, in Poland. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Literally a big in Poland. Big people. in Poland. <laughs> so wonderful. This is good. We, um, we clearly don't need to break the ice uh, because the ice is well and truly broken already, which is great. Um, so it's lovely to have you all on. Um, I'm sure all of you have taken part in an exceptionally boring roundtable in your in your long and um, successful careers. And we d we really don't want it to be like that. So it's a, it's a bit festive. It's a bit special. We've got John's Christmas tree in the in the background, which is lovely. And Alex is kind That's of poor compared to Alex. I know, I know. That is rubbish compared I'm to Alex. He's the owner of a massively successful global network of <laughs> Alex's looks like he's been cut from the gardens of Downton Abbey. <laughs> it's, it's literally a Zoom background. How bad would it be if I switched this off and I was just in like a windowless room? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, right. Worryingly, we've lost Rebecca, but don't worry. We're going to carry on. It says that her video has been disabled She's due there. to internet quality issues. Okay. Her, her video is still being recorded, which is great. Wow, so, Rebecca, you can we'll, we'll we'll catch you when it all uploads afterwards. So, just before we start, just to say, don't hang up at the end because we just need your video and your audio to upload. So that's great. So, we're going to start before we get interesting and uh, and contentious. We just want to know what campaign you've seen at the end and when you look back on the whole of 2020 that you've made you really think shit i wish i thought of that one that one's really really good so um hopefully people have thought about this before if not think of one on the fly the only rule is it can't be a campaign that you created because we're not we're not that sort of show um so um we'll go around the group but please comment as we go if you thought that was really good say if you thought it was really good if you thought it was rubbish think Feel, and feel and by all means, jump in as well, because yeah. it's a conversation at the end of the day. We're not yeah. going to do it. Oh, that was yeah. great, John. What did you think, Alex? What yeah. did you think? And we're going to do it like that. So jump in. Welcome again, Rebecca. You've jumped back in. This is fantastic. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, Carrie, I'm not going to put you on the spot. I'm going to put John on the spot. John. Uh, yes. What campaign have you seen this year that made you think, wow, shit, I really wish I'd thought of that one? Uh, can I have two? Of course you can. Of course you can. We're here. Right. Christmas. Oh. I quite liked the um, uh, the Patagonia vote the arseholes out work, which they did to just stitching um, vote the arseholes out into random bits of clothing. I just thought it was super effective and just uh, just a, 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 like an outstanding example of like brand activism at, at its heart, you know. And a lot of I think a lot of brands can learn from the fact that brand activism does mean like picking a side sometimes and that's what they uh that's what they did very well and I quite liked what Vans did during the early stages of lockdown which was to give small businesses a cut of custom vans so like Slam City Skates could create custom vans on the van store vans would make them ship them out and they'd get a cut of the profit. So any shuttered small business was able to recreate their their brand on on, on pairs of vans, and I mean, uh, and earn cash out of it. And I just thought yeah. just a lovely show of kind of solidarity, but also you know 
everyone benefited from it. It was a good kind of holistic campaign. So yeah, I enjoyed it. When was the Vans one? July, I Uh, think. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, July this year. It was just wicked. It's just like, you know, people, a lot of of organisations looking to kind of help each other out and stuff. And I thought it was quite a quite a cool thing to do. They were still going strong, still able to produce custom shoes. So opened it up to uh, to others to kind of earn a bit of profit off of it. I love the fact, John, that you're doing point. a bit of product placement for Patagonia as we speak as well. That's nice. That's, that's... Mate, I'm literally dripping in this stuff. <laughs> the Patagonia t-shirt as well. I'm wearing Patagonia pants. <laughs> and, you know, I'd love to work for them. I bought a Patagonia in case they're listening. <laughs> I bought a Patagonia um, top during their uh, during Black Friday, and you go on their website, it just says, "Don't fucking buy our stuff because you know unless you really need this, don't buy it." And I thought that's beautiful, but I really do want to buy something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's good. Work through the guilt. That's fantastic. Thank you very much, uh, Alex Myers. What do you think? Um, I think, you know what, this year has been a really good year for campaigns Mm. in the sense of remembering what a campaign is. Like, I think so often, like, um, people think a campaign is just to tell you something rather than to campaign for something. And I think with the various shit, like shit storms that have hit us in 2020, there's been a lot of opportunity for, um, for brands to react and some have and some haven't, but the, there's been a lot of campaigns of actually campaigned for something for some change, which is great. But I think my um my favorite my favorite campaign of the year is basically when people don't sit on the fence and they just fucking tell it how it is. Like what if you if there's ever a definition of transforming what brands and consumer relationships look like, it's Ben and Jerry's saying we must dismantle white supremacy in <laughs> like Hang on, ice cream is talking about is talking about white supremacy, and there's a few people saying should they or shouldn't they, but most of the time people are saying do I agree or do I not. But what I love is that like a brand is saying, okay, well, you know, we the people must dismantle white supremacy because you know, of, and don't get me wrong, like there's been a lot of response to the COVID situation where brands have proven a business can make positive impact, but the Black Lives Matter movement. I think has proven even more so that business can make a more t- um, compelling impact on culture than um, government ever could try to. And I think that 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 statement, just a, a complete, um, simple written statement from Ben and Jerry's about dismantling white supremacy, what that means, um, and to come from a brand and not give a shit if anyone goes, hang on, your ice cream, mate. Like, I don't yeah. care. It's a bit like when Tetley's went, we don't care, you're racist. You know, like, your tea bags yeah. are calling you racist now, mate. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, yeah. You, you've gone too far. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I love that, that brands are able to stand up, not just stand for something, which I think the purpose economy established really well, but stand up for something, which is what I talked about in the, the podcast when we chatted, guys. But, like, that idea that there's a push to actually do something, to campaign for mm-hmm. something, and not really care if people disagree, um, I think we've always had a, a conversation ourselves in the creative process around, you know, it's fine to piss people off, just piss the right people off. Yeah. And it's like, if you're, if you're genuinely desperate for that white supremacist pound, then that, that's your game. But Ben and Jerry's don't give a shit. Yeah. And that, that for me was, it wasn't about the bravery. It was just about the brazenness. Mm. 
It was just that we must dismantle white supremacy in our font. Like that just is undescribably Ben and Jerry's, but also nothing to do with ice cream was just a wonderful step change for brand communications, I thought. Wow. So there. Wow. Wordy, wordy response. Two incredible sentiments there. So rich in uh, inside things. Um, Rebecca, was it Trump 2020? Oh, totally. Yeah, totally. Um, No, it was not Trump 2020, I have to say. Um, I'm actually going to go with something a little bit left field that may or may not be comfortably defined as a campaign. And that's um, Bernard Lumi taking over as CEO of BP um, and what he's done to absolutely exemplify their commitment to sustainability goals. Um, He's taken it on the chin (laughs) because he has absolutely been a target for people who don't believe that BP either should be doing anything relating to sustainability. They're not believable doing anything relating to sustainability. How on earth could they possibly even participate in the conversation? Um, And he's just kind of taking it all and being very transparent um, in a time when he would have every right not to be transparent. Um, And I think when you look against the others in in that sector, in that space, BP are winning as a result. Certainly in the court of public opinion, they seem to be winning. Now, whether they actually do things, you know, it's still early days. We've got to see some real, real progress, but they have made real progress over the last couple of years as well. So for me, watching him take a pretty strong advocacy stance and have like a CEO brand that's really quite powerful and is also growing in 2020 when everybody's, you know, increasing attention on um, sustainability objectives. And this year in particular, it's come to the fore. I think that's been quite powerful to see happen. Um, and it's also a really good example of how a CEO can be a really strong advocate. Um, and if it's not embodied by the CEO, then nobody's going to believe it anyway. Um, so, And he's also been quite open in conversation on social media. Um, his LinkedIn profile is pretty interesting what he does, I think. And he reaches out to employees. And um, I think that's been great to see from an organization of that size. That's brilliant. Thank you very much for sharing. I think that's really, really valuable. Um, Rich, are you going to say Greg's? No, no, I've got a few. Um, Go for it. Is it, uh, is it your the, book, Rich? It's, oh, shut up. <laughs> on, the, um, on the BP one, weren't BP the ones that did the carbon footprint as a, like, you know, effectively carbon footprint as a, you know, um, as a, you know, as a thing we think about in relation to, you know, our carbon footprint. Wasn't it a BP thing like 15 years ago that it was basically to put it back on us? As a mm. as a bit of a common strategy to kind of push it back on us. Do you know what? It's not us, massive corporations. It's you guys with you going to Spain once a year. Just uh, yeah. you know, if I, like, I think I learned that recently, so um, you know, it's good to see BP doing something different. But um, you know, it's, as a case study, I think they do fantastically well to uh, you know to to hide away from their yeah, you know, or have previously done fantastically well to hide away from their own um, you know, responsibilities in this. But um, positively, and thinking this year. Um, I know we spoke about the PS5 um, stunt, uh, you know, when, when I spoke to you guys. Um, I, I did like it. It isn't, you know, it, it's not kind of, you know, um, it's not recreating the wheel in any way. I think it's something that got people outside of our bubble talking. And that's always a good thing. You know, some of my friends that have no interest in PR don't know what the hell I do. They're like, oh, Rich, was you know, was that kind of PR? Was that marketing? And I was like, yeah, that's marketing, you know. And then for anybody listening, it doesn't know that it was where um, Sony 
um, took over the the um, was it the underground around Oxford Circus. Um, yeah. And as I say, yeah. it's it's not you know, and I've seen people slag it off and say, oh, it's not especially creative. So what? People are talking about it that aren't you, and you know, give a shit. Like you know, it's it's, it's something that you know is kind of cross cross past just PR marketers. So you know, got a lot of time for that. Um, these spec savers, I love a good reactive stunt. And um, obviously around the Barnard Castle time, um, I think um, I saw somebody, you know, I think it all started with a tweet and probably they, you know, um, put the machination in place to, to get this to this point, but um, where you could, on the, the pay and display tickets at Barnard Castle, um, they had, you know, should have gone to spec savers on the back of that. And I just thought that's fantastic. So on brand, Brilliant. so quick, so clever. So and um, I, I love, you know, you can just tell that was somebody, you know, that was sat in the bath that morning and thought, fuck, that's a great idea. You know, we absolutely need to do that. So, um, you know, a lot of time for that. Um, and I'll do you pick bath just... in the morning, Rich? No, shower in the morning. You know what I mean. <laughs> do you know what? I've got, I've got a staff member. I've got a staff member who, who not only has a bath every morning, his mum draws him a bath every morning. Um, so, yeah, and he's in his 20s. So, you know, I'm not going to say his name because he'd be very upset, but yeah, I might not. But, you know, he was in my head as I That's said it. Amazing. Yeah, Thanks, isn't it? To be fair. I know. Get, um, get him on the show. Get, can we call him up and get him on this podcast? Oh, he's, <laughs> <laughs> um, he's in the bath, John. Um, it's amazing. Um, the other one that I want to shout out was the, um, the Just Park um, campaign that Ready 10, um, yeah. I think they did the media relations around it. Really, really liked it. I mean, I love a campaign like the um, missing numbers um, you know, stuff. Like, I love a campaign that it has a, a real world benefit too. And this was early on, you know, maybe not much, but you know, certainly if not, you know, in in April. And it's um, it was where Just Park asked people to basically give up their car parking spaces if they were near you know, a certain number of hospitals around the UK or any hospital around the UK. And not only did it benefit NHS staff, but it benefited people that no doubt trying to, you know, trying to visit family at that time. So I just thought, um, I can't remember the stats as to how many people that actually, um, you know, that actually helped. Um, oh, here it is. So 20,000 car parking spaces um, were listed for free at more than 280 hospitals as a result with 800 health workers benefiting. Um, and it was a not-for-profit campaign. I just thought it was a really, really nice way to, um, it's, again, it's not, you know, super creative, but it doesn't need to be, as you know, to, to Alex's point, a campaign doesn't need to do anything other than kind of reach its objectives. And this was let's, you know, let's tackle an issue and, you know, solve it with good old fashioned PR. And you know, I've got a lot of time for it. Yeah, I backed that one because I was actually doing just a piece of research at the time and it was all around like the cost of car parking for NHS workers. And it is ridiculous to pay at hospitals, you know, even when people are having a baby and all that stuff. Um, and I remember doing, I was literally just doing a, a report, a data report. And then when that came up, fuck yeah, I wish I did that one. <laughs> that yeah, was- that, that's exactly that. When so your guys' question was, you know, the ones that you wish you'd done or come up with yeah. and, you know, something like that would, yeah, it's fantastic. So well done to them. I'm really impressed that you talked about the, the Specsavers one because that, that, that message is one that now just, just resonates with the general public. That they'll, they'll reference it when something newsworthy happens you know, they'll be calling out about spec savers and stuff. And I think it's interesting because you talk about campaigns and their lifetime. And that is a that's a that's a usable message that can easily be repeated and people get and it affiliates and things, which is really, really interesting. Um, Carrie, last but definitely not least, what campaign did you see this year that really made you think, wow, I wish I'd thought of that and why? 
Yeah, I struggled on this question. Like Alex said, I feel like this year, despite everything, there's been so much creativity and amazing results. I think I'm going to talk about the Netflix spoiler one. And the reason that it's my favourite is because Netflix mm -hmm. didn't do it. And because it was like college kids or uni kids or something. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that these, even like the Woolworths kid, that these people that are just doing things in their bedroom and then, you know, jumping on brand active. I love it. I love to see it, to be honest. And that Netflix celebrated it as well. I think there's been a lot in the past where, you know, if, if, a, if creatives are using their brand and their assets, sometimes you can get taken to court. But some brands are celebrating creativity now and I, I like to see it. What I also liked about that one was the number of people on Twitter that were saying, you know, um, oh my God, I can't believe Netflix have done this. And all you needed to do was just zoom in a little bit and see totally. and see the URL that was something, you know, something ridiculous. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's like, like, and, and it just demonstrated to yeah. me like, you know, people don't take a second to think before yeah. they, you know. Totally. So, people, don't, do people don't even click the link, Rich. No, I know. It's just no. like whatever the headline is, whatever the image is, they're believing it. But Retweet, I, I, like. But the same same thing happened Sorry. with the Woolworths one, of course, because they misspelled yeah. Woolworths, couldn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, what I find um, really interesting is that most of the campaigns uh, you folks cited um, were advocacy, progressive, socially responsible. Um, mm -hmm. Is it a coincidence that those are your favourite campaigns in a year that's that's basically been like this, when we've all been stuck in the midst of oh. Well, we've been in uh, we've been in PR too long, and you know we sold ourselves years years ago, and we're looking to claw them back by you know by citing nice things. Maybe that's Did what you like the thing that this is a highbrow podcast. <laughs> yeah, I think I was the first one to drop a C, wasn't I? So yeah, I, I definitely was not highbrow. So yeah. So on on that front, why why has this year been a been a creative one? Do you think it's because of the pandemic? Do you think it's the nature of the the brands that you work for or see and admire what's the what what's been the the sort of accelerator or driver for that this and, year? and before people jump in with their answers what i want to say is what's really interesting you're quite right and you're all right by saying it's been really creative in a year when i think 90 percent, if not every single guest we've had during the pod have said all we've missed is that sort of serendipity of creativity in our teams because we're all on zoom calls and we can't just sort of bounce back ideas and yet we're still being hyper creative so I'm just going to jump in there and throw that in there as well. I mean, I, I agree. I, I think we are, we are missing that um, serendipitous moment in terms of working together as creative teams. But I think, um, I, don't, I don't know who said it, but isn't, someone said something along the lines of like um, innovation, is, necessity is the mother of all innovation, right? And, yeah. and I think when you've got a crisis, then what you have isn't um, an, a bigger opportunity to be creative. You have a bigger opportunity to be decisive. And I think a lot of the issue with creativity isn't actually that it's lacking, it's that people are lacking to say yes to it. Yeah. And I think what we found this year is we've the biggest question that everyone's had, whether it be about Brexit, whether it be about COVID, whether it be about um, Black Lives Matter, the question that everyone's asked is what's the right thing to do? And I think what's been very interesting is the answer to what's the right thing to do is to do the right thing. And I think that suddenly you've had people say, um, well, we're just going to do the right thing. And we're not sure if that's commercially right. We're not sure if that's they've been able to like um, to to rise above 
I'll go upstream of the tactical day-to-day stuff and just go, well, hang on, our business can't really run. So all that's left is the relationship we have with our customers. Mm -hmm. So like, let's just do the right thing. And I think we found, therefore, there's been a freedom for decisiveness. There's been a, well, we have to do something and no one knows if it's right. And I think one of the, the biggest like movements or progressions that you get in, in business generally is when people are willing to fail, when they're willing to say, okay, well, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And there's such a fear when there's competition and you're looking around and like no one does that in our industry is often a reason to not do something, but for marketers, it's a reason to do it. Right. And for, um, in, in this situation, this year, it's that unprecedented sort of tag that's been on everything has allowed people to just do unprecedented things. I think it's stuff everyone's always wanted to do, but for some reason there's just been a bit more license to just go and fucking do it. Um, I think they've also put it down into two buckets, right? So you really weren't able to get cut through this year unless you were doing something useful for society in some way. If that was taking a stand, setting out your stall, doing what just Park was doing, or doing something deeply entertaining just to put a smile on people's face. And I think if you were in, and and, and quickly marketers got to a point where they realized that it had to fall into one of those two brackets. And if it didn't, then you weren't really going to get much cut through. And if it did, you had to make sure it was fucking good because that, you know, that, that was the bar was set then. So you kind of, it was, I totally agree with what you're saying, Alex. It was like, that necessity piece they had to do something and then they realized then the parameters shrunk even further and was like well it has to either be like deeply societal and useful in some way or super entertaining and that then just elevated creative ideas to becoming something quite yeah you know, quite important quite powerful this year Sometimes, i've what never seen the volume did. sorry oh, no, sorry, go sorry, go Rich. sorry guys i was going to say what it also did is because obviously so many important social issues at play we'd have clients say we should be on this we should be talking about this and then you you think okay should we and then you start you know you break it yeah. down and, there's, and then when there's no good reason to there's no good creative reason to because you just be adding to the you know to, to the um, you know number of things that are being said about it you're able to then be consultative and say guys let's not you know you don't actually okay yeah. how many black people are on you know or in, in your company even you know um, and they're there yeah. saying you know we need to talk about this um it's um it, it gave us the opportunity then to to ensure that other campaigns weren't entering the marketplace almost that um so then it didn't you know dilute things the ones that were out there were, were out there for all the right reasons and you know had something to yeah. say um so i'm really i'm really keen to to hear from john and rebecca now because your your in-house perspective could well be different from from this agency perspective rebecca what's it been like in-house during 2020 do you do you feel like actually you've had to lower your volume or increase your volume or actually not not speak at all during during this time what's it what's it been like for you and your sector so we can't afford to not speak that's that's never an option we're a disruptor brand in an industry that doesn't get disrupted um aerospace is about as staid as as a sector can be in a lot of senses because it's dominated by a very small number of very very big players so when you're a nobody or a very small somebody you can't you can't stop projecting yourself into the space because you just get eaten. Um, but I think what's been really hard in-house is recognizing the challenge of resource. So we're a scale-up business of resources constrained anyway. We don't have the kind of money that we can spend on an Oxford Circus takeover. 
you know, that's, that's just never going to be an option for us. Well, I say never, never right now is that going to be an option for us. Hopefully someday I have that kind of uh, budget at my disposal. But the other thing is we've got an in-house team of people. We furloughed staff um, and, you know, we've, we've got to be mindful of what we do if we're seen to be doing too much, but they're not working. There's a, there's a very delicate balance there between what needs to be achieved and how you go about achieving it. Um, I think the COVID period has done two things. I was on a, um, a discussion this morning about innovation and one of the speakers said, to innovate, you have to be passionately dispassionate. You have to be passionate about the problem, but dispassionate about the solution. And I think COVID has like super amplified that because we need any solution. It doesn't matter what it is. We've got to find a way to solve this problem. All the regular rules are, have gone out the window because nobody's playing by them anymore. But the problem is really important and really pressing. So I think that's allowed a degree of freedom in what people are doing that wouldn't normally exist. Uh, and I think to Alex's point, time is really sensitive now. Um, you know, as a business that's trying to grow and create a footprint, we have to take advantage of opportunity as it presents itself. For us, the fact that people weren't flying is a huge opportunity because we're trying to say that there's a way to do aviation that doesn't put carbon into the atmosphere. So look at how amazing it is that there's no carbon being emitted by all of those flights you're not taking. Um, so there, there, there's kind of an, the inertia of just doing what you've always done goes away when an opportunity presents itself from the chaos. Um, and, and while I think that doesn't necessarily lend itself to a big kind of blowout campaign, it lends itself to a bunch of small moments of creativity that together combine to, you know, when you look back on the year, you'll have achieved something really dramatic in little tiny bites of really quite creative stuff. That's really interesting. And I'm keen to sort of lead that into, into Carrie. So um, for those that don't know, the PR Hub, PR Hub uh, podcast made Carrie's agency famous and it's gone from like nothing to, to 50 people. It's just gone, it's gone crazy since you appeared on our podcast, which is great. I can't keep up with the success, but Carrie, you've seen, you've seen a huge degree of growth yeah. in your business. You've recruited like crazy, you've opened new offices and stuff. Um, do you think it's the nature of the type of work that you do that has opened up a new opportunity for brands? Do you think that's why, you know, during this year, they they think it's a safer bet to put money into, into your type of, of, of comms? Yeah, I think so. I think what we saw, and I, I kind of saw it ahead of this anyway, is that the budgets moved internally. So it went from kind of the brand and traditional comms team to the digital team. So all of a sudden, you know, the SEO guy was just the geek in the corner that put the key words in the content. All of a sudden, he's got some budget behind him and some budget in his pockets. And that's what we saw change. Um, we have a particular brand that, for an example, has completely died on the high street, completely. They had 100 stores, shut every single one of them. And they, the only way for them to thrive and survive even is online. And um, I think with, with everything that everyone said is, I think brands have become a lot more braver to say yes um, at the minute. Um, very similar to what Alex was saying. Um, to being a bit more disruptive or having something to say or saying the right thing. Um, it feels as if like, I kind of did an analogy. I think it might have been on this podcast actually around. Probably was. Yeah, I, I, I talked about, um, I drove past this like car garage and the cars basically had a load of dust on it during COVID. 
And everyone always said, like, you're going to keep the lights on. Like, right now, you need to keep the lights on. And I think brands try to keep the lights on. But if you're using the money to do that, they're going to go all out. So they they said yes to the big the big things. That's what I've seen. I've seen brands be a lot more braver um, in saying yes and being different and change as well. I think brands are more open to change in the last year, for sure. I think something interesting about that, Carrie, about bravery, I think what's changed is the perspective on bravery. Like for too long, people have thought new things is brave, um, when in reality, neutrality is danger. And like staying in the middle of the road is just a road traffic accident waiting to happen. But like, actually, when you look at um, like the situation now, they can't do what they did last year for a bit less money which is what yeah. 80% of CMOs do to just not get sacked. Yeah. Right? I, I just don't want to get sacked, so I'm going to do what I did last year for a bit less money with a bit more polish. Yeah. And suddenly they weren't allowed to do it. And I think I agree, they were looking for different routes and they ended up also looking at budget pots that made them more money. They were looking at the value that comes from mm-hmm. different areas. And like you said, from a digital perspective, you can measure the sales impact. Yeah. When you suddenly need to digitize your business, when suddenly like 20% of your business becomes 100% of your business, yeah. it changes things. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I think massively that, that that's part of that catalyst yeah. is just there's no status quo anymore. Yeah. And, it's, and, and we'll look back, I think, and we'll say, you know, there was an opportunity there that mm-hmm. has never risen again in just hitting re- the reset button and saying, well, there's no such thing as what we did last year. Yeah. Do you know, when you you mentioned that, Alex, around like like saving the CMO's job, we've had to do that this year. I'm not a client, but we we started working with a brand and a client who literally called us up and said, I'm going to get fired next week if I don't turn this around. And she said, help, help me save my job. And that's been interesting for us as a business. Like we've, you know, we've had to help them. People save their jobs in, you know, in delivering results, et cetera, et cetera. So it's They've had to make decisions for their own self, but also obviously the the jobs and stuff. But I find that real interesting, but also useful for me from Ireland over the last year. Wow. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I I kind of did a a survey recently, kind of brand marketer survey that was, you know, in in no small part for us, you know, as an agency to look at direction, growth and things like that. And I think for, for a good few years now, we've been, you know, leading the charge and fighting the good fight for, you know, measurement and, you know, been writing for a long time about Google goals, looking at attribution, looking at, you know, how does, you know, how does link building impact your, you know, your, your visibility, you know, all of these things. Um, but this report showed the majority of people, almost three quarters of brand marketers, so in-house marketers, have bought, and it was only about a hundred, you know, hundred responses, but, you know, good, good people, everything from startups, you know, through to big brands. Um, ben and Jerry's one of them, funny enough. Um, mm. And three quarters of them said, budgets are going to stay the same or increase in the next quarter. And then we we asked in the survey, where are you going to be um, reducing spend and where are you going to be increasing spend? And almost, you know, they, they, they matched in terms of the people that said, yeah, we're going to be increasing spend, said PPC, paid social, um, you know, SEO and attributable marketing. And the places where they said that they were going to be reducing spend was that traditional kind of press office type work and, um, and um, content marketing, you know, as, as a smaller part of that. And then, you know, the inverse, the people that said we're going to be reducing spend, it was in the areas that um, you'd expect it to be. Not, not one person said that they were going to be reducing spend in PPC or you know, Google Ads um, or paid social. And yep. that's fascinating. And I think as, you know, to, to um, you know, one of the questions you asked us to think about, 
that's something that we as as PR people, as communicators, as marketers need to consider. We need to take a step back and say, okay, we're pretty good at, you know, conveying a message, you know, create a message, crafting it, knowing who the audience is, getting out there. But, you know, it's just the channels that change. And, you know, I think sometimes, you know, attribution has always been there. The ability to measure, or not always, but, you know, certainly for the last five, 10 years, you know, Google goals is a real thing. You know, and I think I remember once um, talking to a, you know, a group of people and, um, kind of going through um going, going through exactly this and they said christ rich i'm never going to be geeky enough to care about this and it's like well guess what a fucking pandemic's happened and you have to you have to care about this um and it's just you know exacerbated and almost you know sped these things along i mean i 100 uh, percent buy into the the idea that and 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 the fact that we we, we see it and have to measure based on these sorts of metrics we have to incorporate the kind of the the research into what are people searching for what are the keywords of competitors etc however and this is the one fly in the ointment i think for all of this is yes they will always say that they're going to increase budgets in these areas and yes they'll always want the measurement and the attribution but there is still something extraordinary about the fuck me i'm famous moment of course which yeah. is the blanket coverage yeah. We are fucking everywhere. The moment where that, whoever, whoever it is, the CMO, the CEO, she gets home, sits down at a dinner table, and the kids yeah. and the husband is talking about the thing that they just yeah. saw. Yeah. I mean, in, in in all honesty, yes, there is obviously all of that underlying, but that is like par for the course. I, like I, th I, I think it's, it needs both. It needs the creativity and the measurement, you know, and, and there's, you know, there's a, there's a scale between the two, isn't there? And sometimes you're going to be closer to one than the other, but, you know, it's, it's being somewhere on that spectrum, um, you know, yeah. and not running it something. Sorry. It what you're trying to achieve, doesn't it? Yeah. I think from my perspective, so I've obviously came from a stage background. SEO has not really been creative, not really. Um, and all of a sudden it's starting to be, I wouldn't say there's many, to be honest. Um, but what has been interesting, I love exactly what you just said, John, is sometimes we focused in SEO too much on the result. And actually, what about making someone feel good? Like, what about, you know, creating a campaign that they go to their boss and go, look what we just did. And even if the results yeah. weren't that amazing from a traffic or a Google point of view, look how like how proud it makes you feel or because somebody or your wife goes you go home and your wife spoke spoke about it i i love that sort of stuff too and i think yeah very similar to what rich said as well you have to have both but yeah i, I love that feeling too and i think especially in the search side they cared too much about the result and not about really how people feel about it if that makes sense i i think that's where strategy comes in i think that's yeah. the big opportunity at the moment is actually um Brands, brands are saying, okay, well, what's our strategy? And they're not, they don't mean, okay, well, where, where's our budget split anymore? They're like saying, okay, well, what does our brand stand for? How, how are we going to, what are we exactly going to do that um, that's tells a narrative that is compelling from a call to action involve my product standpoint, but also like, what does the brand stand for? Because at the, at the end of the day, like the product becomes then a subscription to the brand. People used to say that brands were like a representation of our products, but now they are your products, mm. right? And uh, uh, and the products therefore are just a way to subscribe to the brand. And the best examples are like the Nikes and the Apples. And it's like, they might be cliches. They're also the most valuable brands in the world for a reason, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and Patagonia as well, John, as you as you Not are cliche, clearly, no, clearly, sponsored, clearly <laughs> sponsored by. <laughs> Chuck your affiliate link in the, uh, in the chat. Yeah. Oh, we'll... but, 
that idea that like you know there's a brand strategy that oddly is channel agnostic it used to be your brand strategy was driven by it was you i'll pick my ad agency because that's where the biggest budget is my ad agency will develop the strategy and then what they'll do is they'll create an integrated program which is basically i'm going to tell a pr agency to pr it and anytime yeah. anyone said something was PRable, was talking bullshit as well as destroying the english language and then yeah. And then they'll say, oh, well, we'll, we'll make a blog about it, which no one will read. You know, like they basically would just, that's, were, that's digital. it was basically just making <laughs> advertising the hero. And I think what's happened, not just in the last year, but like, I guess this year has been a culmination of it because it's been much more about conversation with consumers than ever before, mm-hmm. is that strategy is actually about what is, what is this brand going to do? You know, what's the change that this brand is delivering to the world? Not what's the status quo it's supporting, but what's the change it's delivering to the world? And it has to be a positive impact, don't get me wrong, but it doesn't have to be altruistic. It can be a music festival that makes it the greatest day on earth that you remember, right? But it has to be a day on earth you remember differently to a different music festival. So it's like suddenly there's a strategy that is not integrated, but unified in the sense of there's not a lead channel. It's like this is a strategy that doesn't is channel agnostic. And then suddenly it's like, okay, now we need experts to produce that. They're like, what that's going to look like, creatives that are going to make that work on SEO, that are going to make that work through PR, that are going to make that work through owned media. But they are not singing from the same hymn sheet. Each channel amplifies the other. And that's where the, the brands are cutting through that aren't not even just the Nikes and the Apples of this world, but actually the new brands that are kind of like strategic natives that have grown up with brands that are strategy first, yeah. you know, that have grown up with the Nikes, the Patagonias, the, the Apples, and going, I want to build a brand like that, which isn't defined by what the product is, especially when you look at an app. Like, an app is not going to exist in its current format in six months, let alone six years' time. So it's like, I need to develop an app that gives some impact, and I will always do what's best to give that impact. And suddenly the strategy becomes more significant, and what's, I think, Uh, fantastic for our industry whether you call it pr whether you call it comms whether you call it marketing doesn't matter where you're coming from like the fact that 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 strategy needs to be a narrative and a story puts communicators at the center of a channel agnostic process because actually advertisers traditionally been like what's going to resonate on tv and no one gives a fuck anymore. TV is a PR opportunity, right? Like don't get me wrong like tv is massive at setting uh, an agenda still you know and it always will be but let's face it like one big ad on the x factor is better than an actual campaign and you know the john lewis ad is about pr it's not about the actual advertising and like the strategy needs to be something that is a story that people understand you know as a beginning a middle and an end but what advertisers have always forgot is it also needs a moral you know everyone who watched he-man knows there's a moral to every story because they told you right at the end in detail but like that that idea that the moral needs to be there is something that's relatively new in strategic requirement. Like it, before it needed to have a call to action, but now it needs to have a, I don't know, something that makes me feel something. You're going to have the, antip- like, it, I, I imagine because we maybe all share a similar I'm like, political leaning that we're seeing this from this perspective and expecting there to be goodness a good moral to the story etc but one of the things that i think we'll definitely see next year is the the sort of the other side 
of this start to spark up. And Weatherspoons has done a great job of this so far, which is, okay, well, if these guys are going over here and they're talking about, you know, Black Lives Matter, they're, they're focused in on, you know, making sure that we're still united with Europe, whatever it might be, these brands that have made a stand over here, what we're going to say is that we're not going to stop French beer anymore. And, you know, and, and that starts to show how both sides are starting to kind of lead down this, you know, what is the, what is this narrative? What is the story? But again, it's a narrative that makes people feel Absolutely. something. So it's polar opposite from a, a, my examples, for sure. But it's the same, like, strategy, you know? It's still, oh, let's let centre on around what people are going to feel first, which is interesting. Absolutely. The strategy's there. There's, the strategy's the same for both sides. I think we, this year, have been used to seeing... And, and, and thankfully so, you know, celebrating some of the brands that have really stood for some of the most important moments I think we're going to see in a, in a long while. And in 2021, that partisanship's not going anywhere. Like the, the, that, that divided society is not going anywhere. If anything, it's probably going to get a little bit bigger first. Va vaccine lovers, anti-vaxxers, pro-Brexit, anti-Brexit. That's all going to happen. You'll see brands, we will see brands take the other side of this as well and really double down on it. You know, I, I, I genuinely believe that Weatherspoons, Dyson, whatever it might have been, has, started, has set the tone for what we're going to see is, is a pretty pretty hefty fight on our hands in next year. But I, I don't know whether that's new. I think that polarisation is something that is there in culture and I therefore brands reflect making it. it clear, making it clear yeah, as yeah. a brand, taking a stand for it is where it's new. Just when I, that's, that's, what we, that's what we need is polarisation. I can't wait. Bring Rebecca in as well. Sorry, Rebecca, you you were going to say. As the representative of a brand, <laughs> I have lots of thoughts about this topic. Go as for you it. Know. Go for it. I think, um, I think it's, it's, this is really interesting to listen to because I don't often get the opportunity to, well, I do often get to see it on Twitter or on Facebook or in groups, places, what people, what agency people think about what is happening in a brand's mind. Um, and I think where I sit today, and I don't claim to represent all in-house marketing and comms leads by any stretch of the imagination, I actually don't refer to myself as a communicator at all anymore because it's just too complicated. Um, but I think the, it's, it's fallen out of fashion to be about delivering shareholder value. My job is to deliver shareholder value and profitability to the business. Nothing else matters. It's all about how I do that. Now, the way I tend to approach that is through narrative because I think it's the most effective way to do that. I think it's, you use the word unifying, Alex. I think that's a really important word because coherency across every touch point that somebody has with you builds, builds credibility, it builds trust, um, especially when you're selling something that costs $50 million. I mean, you can't, you can't have somebody not want to buy it at any point in that process because they just leave. Um, so I think the... At the moment, it feels really like everybody's talking about how can we make the world a better place. And I think what else is going to happen is we're going to have a bit of a backlash when brands realize that they can't monetize that in a way that they need to monetize it for their board to continue saying yes. So I think we'll see a divergence between brands who are able to effectively link feel good factor, feel bad factor, maybe. I mean, you know, whatever you want to call it that emotional response to brand narrative, if you can't link that to driving profitability for the business, then it's gonna have to go away. And I think some brands have chosen to do it because in this year, it's been the thing to do. 
Um, and I think that the conversation over the last couple of years has sort of been leading to that point. Um, but the, the economic outputs um, or impacts rather from this year, from Brexit, from a number of other things going on in the world, those economic um, outcomes are going to significantly impact a business's success. Um, so if you can't link the two, you know, I, I think when I sometimes when I listen to communicators talking about strategy, that's communication strategy. And I think one of the questions um, you guys asked was about the most important skill for next year, not to like transition us onward. But it, to me, if you can't link communications strategy to business strategy, you will be left behind. You already have been left behind. It's probably too late for you um, not to be really super negative about it. You can always catch up. Um, but I think, you know, it's we get caught in our little our little bubble of comms and the reality of business we're, we're taking direction from elsewhere. And unless we engage with that, it's just not going to stay effective. So I completely agree there, Rebecca. But also, I would say that there's um, there's a, a genuine monetary impact. There's a business strategic approach to that. Not just being uh, how do we, for example, mitigate our impact on the planet, like you were saying before about, you know, um, your, your previous examples. But like that, that central, that sort of purpose economy that was outlined maybe five years ago around, okay, if we sound like we're good, then generally there's a consumer consensus moving towards us. But from a business strategy, there's now much more, um, you know, belt and braces, economic strategy around doing, not necessarily doing good in the sense of being a do-gooder, but in the sense of building your business around something that doesn't, um, openly have a negative impact and positions itself around a positive impact on the lives of the customer, whether that be B2B or whether that be a consumer approach. So if you look at something like ESG or you look at triple bottom line, you need measurable like impacts. Th these are measurable impacts of your planetary values or your uh, values around people affecting your business. And we're, we've seen that massively amplified this year around not just the positive side where, oh, people have been doing good, like Ben and Jerry's or everyone, you know, all of the like woolly liberals like me are sort of leaning towards Ben and Jerry's because of what they said before. You're actually seeing people reject, openly reject brands because they're not doing something to mitigate their planetary pay gap, so to speak, which I've just made up. But like these, these, kind, of, these kind of strategic business issues are now not just um, a, a reputational one. So you're looking at legislative issues. For example, you're not allowed a petrol car in, what is it, 2050 in 20, the UK? I think 2040 is the end of diesel, 20, isn't it? 20, yeah, 2040, so. the end of diesel, 2050, the end of petrol cars or whatever. So it's like there's no longer, the, the road has run out, if you know what I mean, for certain, and, certain behaviours where people were able to turn a blind eye. And actually, it's not just consumer demand, it's governmental demand, it's legislative. And if you don't prime yourself now as a brand for positive impact, then actually that's not a comms reputational issue. You're not talking about the difference between success and significance. You're talking about the difference between survival and success. Mm -hmm. And I think actually, you know, whether you're an aviation brand, whether you're a fucking shoe company, like you need to be able to talk in positive terms because if you aren't talking about positive impact, not sustainability, if you look at Scandinavia, like sustainability is a four letter word. You know, it's not good enough, you know, as far as they're concerned. That's a base level. Like brands need to provide something that is positive.
to the world. And that doesn't, as I said, need to necessarily be altruistic, but it is. It is definitely business strategy. And it's not necessarily just comms strategy. There's, I think there's also, there's perhaps a shift in, you know, I still I agree, Rebecca, what you're saying around the the influence of essentially a, a, the bottom line. And if there are people, if there are stakeholders, investors, uh, shareholders who are still expecting returns, the um, it, 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 that, the, everything has to lead towards that. There still has to be a funnel and a flow to that. I think the things that may change potentially with this uh, is activism investors, activism shareholders. Potentially, and, I, think, you know, I think the thing that makes all of this, I think the thing that makes all of this difficult to actually take a step back and think, right, okay, yeah, you know, altruism or and or you know, activist investing. You know, look at the biggest companies in the world. Do they act well? They do not. Amazon. Facebook, Apple, look at, um, you know, Nike, even, yes, it's all well and good. They have this lovely communication strategy and, you know, they, they back up Colin Kaepernick because they should, because they've made their living off the back of black athletes for the last few decades. But is it, you know, do they live those ideals? Definitely not, but they're the biggest companies in the world. So it's all well and good us talking about communications as a, you know, as a, a means to, and you know, as, as being correlated with business objectives. But I think, you know, Rebecca, I hear you, you know, like brands, you know, there is a runway. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not necessarily, you know, the, the, the top line, the top percentage of people that will go, do you know what? I love Ben and Jerry's for what they do. My mum's never heard about that. Do you know what I mean? My mum is not going to hear about that. Like none of my family are going to hear about that. Um, it's, it, you know, it's a, it's a small percentage of people that potentially okay. might. And I'm, 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 not, I'm not saying, a neg- I'm not saying this is negative. I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to live, you know, good ideals again, you know, to, to a point where, yes, we all probably do lean a certain way. So I'm not saying that we don't do that. I just think I can hear people where they, you know, if they got this far listening to us talking about comms and, you know, altruism and, and, you know, doing the right thing, possibly some people are screaming, fuck off. What about Amazon? You know, and it's just. But but again, Amazon's a great example of business strategy. Focus just centrally on your positive impact on the life of your customer. Like I said, they have negative impacts, like completely, but it's not just built around the finance, they know there are certain things that they provide, which is simplicity, speed, yeah. efficiency, and just making life easier for their customer. If they suddenly mitigate that with whatever they're doing, if they suddenly like impact on that, like then their value to the customer depreciates. And a lot of people use Amazon because of all of that positive stuff. But it's much like Uber, right? Uber costs you yeah, more Uber, money the more you need, the more you need it. Right. And it's a it's a morally bankrupt organization that's desperately trying to patch on purpose. The reason it's trying to do that is not just from an investment standpoint, but to demonstrate a long term commercial benefit, because they know, right, that they've managed to get to their position through finance and through owning the media narrative around what they do. But that's been purely bullish spend. Now, what happens if someone actually makes it like not more expensive, the more you need it? and has the same capacity as Uber. Now, that's obviously notional, but like there's a um, behavioral economics uh, book called Misbehaving by David Thaler, who, um, Richard Thaler. That is on Richard Thaler, sorry. (laughs) Yes, he's the current like like Nobel laureate for economics or whatever. And he says like, there's still this inherent need for fairness in humanity that doesn't bear out in a lot of business. And Uber's a prime example where we've sort of forgotten about the fairness because there's not anyone else to compare it to. 
And as soon as there is, like as soon as someone makes it cheaper, when you the more you need it, like they can actually access the economics of volume above and beyond what Uber could do. But like, obviously they've created a market leading position for themselves in each market. But the reason they're pasting on purpose isn't actually a reputational thing. It's it's actually trying to make them more resilient to disruption. And, and I think it's interesting. Leaders and drivers, right? I mean, they're not going to be doing this if they weren't going to make more money out of it. Or yeah. if they weren't thinking that exactly. their business was going to be, going to be physically uh, bankrupt as well. I mean, we've got, uh, we're entering a year where we're supposed to be legislating to mandate a triple bottom line uh, reporting structure within every business in the UK. They've just done it in Italy. They haven't mandated it. They've just put this into started putting this into legislation. We've got Green New Deal getting a huge kick up the arse in twenty in twenty twenty one with more politics. Oh dear! Of actually, a business is run. A business is, it should be run for more than just its stakeholders, for its shareholders. It should be run for a triple bottom line perspective. Like we aren't going to be able to achieve some of the bigger global impact that we're seeing or that we want to have if business fundamentally doesn't move away from a purely shareholder profit play into a triple bottom line space. And I think you, you for every Amazon that you've got, you've got a yeah, Unilever yeah. who sees that. You know, for. Um, for, for, and for and also for every uh, Excel Ventures that you've got, you've got BlackRock, an organisation with more money than God, shifting its entire portfolio focus to triple bottom line organisations. That's real money, economic money, that moves this this economy around. And organisations without the foresight to change now are going to be left behind. So this behind, is a wonderful well conversation that we could carry on all night, I sort of get the impression of. Um, before <laughs> we move on to my next question, I just want to ask... Um, Rebecca, what 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 do you make of those responses? Is that what what do you think? So, I mean, I don't have any argument with them. I think what's what's a point of frustration for me, I suppose, is that I work at business strategy level. I I have to do comm strategy because we're a lean organization, so I have to go in both directions. But I don't think about comm strategy. I actually don't even really love doing comm strategy. <laughs> But for me, the two things, like I have a group of shareholders, I'm actively seeking investment. I, I pitch for, for money as part of my job. So for me, I live that risk analysis loop of, okay, what are the risks and opportunities here all the time of who we are, where we're positioned, what we do. And then as a communicator, part of my job is to influence both within the organization and into our shareholding group to get them to pivot to the thing that's going to be sustainable for the business in, in this that sense rather than sustainability sense. And I think I, I see too often that it is downward into the communication out of the business and it's not upward into the organization itself. So it's really nice to have a brand positioning exercise that sees you, um, you know, taking a stand on, on Black Lives Matter or, you know, pick, pick your pick your topic. But a lot of them feel to me like they are brand exercises. They are not organizational change drivers. Mm. Um, 100%. And to, so to me, like, while I totally agree about the importance of a triple bottom line, the reality of most businesses is they're nowhere near that thinking. They're so far removed from that thinking in their day-to-day -day practice as an organization that it's a nice ideal, but somebody has to actually go and do the work. 
Um, so I, I guess I see a lot of discussion about the importance of the, the positioning and it's like, yeah, except it's not going to matter if your 5,000 employees don't care. You know, the, the, those people are the people who are actively adhering to the policy that you've set about whatever the thing is about wastage or, or you know, improving industrial process. I mean, there are so many links in the chain that have to align to make that kind of thing possible, especially in some heavy industries. Aerospace is a perfect example. You know, this is this is an, an industry that is really inherently not good for the environment. I mean, we're, we're a contributor that's larger than most nations to to uh, global climate change. So, you know, we, we've got to do more than just say, oh, look, here's a new concept for an aircraft we'll do in 2050. You know, that that feels a bit like a cop out to me. Um, and I think that your point, John, about the, the governmental alignment is is a good one it's um it's it will be interesting to see what actually happens because that too can sometimes be brand positioning not actual change um politicians are not immune from that as we all know um so i i think that's kind of where my frustration sits is actually communicators often don't take the role of driving organizational change whether it's because they don't want to or they don't have the opportunity or whatever, that's a whole different conversation. But the role has to be whole business change. Otherwise, there's not really a point. It'll get you so far, but only so that's far. That's brilliant. Thank you.